0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
1: Our guest today is Kelly Baveen, Chief of Strategy for the Private Sector at the Inter American Development Bank, or IDB. Uh, We will speak with her about the bank's social impact initiatives. And specifically, the shared value appraisal that the bank uses in its investments. Uh, Kelly, welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
1: So to begin with, I wonder if we can start by talking about IDB's approach to social impact. And specifically, uh, what is the shared value appraisal and what role does it play in the bank's lending?
2: Sure. Sure. Uh, Well, IDB as an institution for many years, of course, uh, as a mission-driven lender, is very concerned and interested in social impact. Uh, The shared value appraisal is a relatively new tool that we developed specifically to work with our private sector clients because there's a big area of the bank uh, that I'm part of where we're supporting for-profit investors um, across Latin America and the Caribbean. Uh, And the intent of that instrument is to help those private investors really find the intersection between their business challenges and drivers for better, stronger, more robust growth of their companies, Uh, the intersection of that with the social needs and sort of social surroundings uh, in the place of operation where their companies are operating. So it's really surfacing opportunities that really can address both elements at the same time.
0: So let's discuss one concrete case, right, where you use the shared value appraisal. And this is the uh, San Ignacio University in Lima, Peru. Can you tell us about that deal and how the shared value appraisal was used?
2: Sure, absolutely. Uh, That was a a really wonderful opportunity for us to put this tool to work. The university was established back in 1995. It's growing robustly. And it came to IDB for, let's say, a a basic brick-and-mortar expansion loan. We do a lot of infrastructure lending uh, across all sectors. Uh, It is for-profit university, and they need to expand. They need to build more campus buildings to accommodate the growth in in students. Um, Yet, from our knowledge of the region, we know that in Peru, uh, there's a dramatic lack of access to quality education, especially at the higher uh, tertiary levels for income low-income students and disadvantaged students. Uh, and so when they came to us for an expansion loan, we said, okay, well, we, you know, we want to help you expand, and uh, while we're looking at the credit, let's look at your business model, because we think we could put this new tool, we had, we had developed it recently when they had come to us back in 2012, we think we could put this new tool to work to really figure out how to enable you to grow and meet these growth projections. Because remember, we're a lender. So we're looking at their growth projections to make sure they can repay. Um, If you really wanna meet these growth projections, you can't rely on what is potentially a shrinking segment of your base, which are tuition paying students. Um, And so let us use this methodology that we've developed to really figure out how we can enhance your business model and also enhance access to students that wouldn't otherwise have access to your quality institution. Uh, so it was, a, it was really a win-win um, of putting the two together.
1: So when you approach situations like this, how do you balance the financial considerations versus the social considerations?
2: Right. That's a very good question because it's a common question, and it's not extremely obvious to many people when we're going about doing this, including our clients. Um, and what we really, our practice area in this in this instrument is to say, look, what I tell my team is if this is not going to have a beneficial impact in a tangible way to the bottom line of this company, in this case, the university, then we're not prepared to really put it forward. This is not a CSR program. It's not something that we will submit or assert will generate revenue by some form of goodwill. Like we want to see concrete increase in revenues. and therefore there's no, there's no trade-off. You know, and, and that's, for us, that was a big move when we, we sort of discovered the whole shared value concept, which is, it's really not if, if social gains, you know, financial returns lose, and vice versa. It's really how to really pursue both at the same time. So, so once we remove this trade-off kind of paradigm that we've lived with for a long time, uh, We get into this zone of how are we really pushing the envelope and really, really increasing the overall pool of economic capital, Um, and that's what makes it exciting because you really, you know, when you discover there are ways to do that, um, it really, really feels good because you're really serving your client and you're really serving again our mission, which is um, improving, you know, lives of, of people across the region.
0: And I want to follow up on on what you had said. You know, you said it's not. This isn't CSR. And I think there's been a lot of skepticism about corporate mm-hmm. social responsibility, arguing that it's just kind of marketing, it's window dressing, it's not it's not real and authentic. So, do you think this shared value approach is the kind that can um, get rid of that skepticism and really build a an authentic approach to corporations having a social impact?
2: Right. Well, let me be clear. I don't have anything against CSR, and I think companies who, who commit to robust corporate social responsibility programs can be fabulous and can have a dramatic impact. The distinction I make is that um, what we're looking for is not something that's going to be a cost center. Because what, what I've seen in my years of business, and particularly in the context of uh, IDB, where I work with the private sector, CSR programs, as wonderful as they may be, when budgets get tight, it's the first thing to get cut. right? And so what we're looking for is really sustainable change, transformational change. And you can't really rely on that tremendously if you at any time risk it gets cut because, oh, my God, we've got to go back to core business because this extra thing that we love and we've shown great results with, we just can't afford it anymore. And so when you weave in these investments that will derive social impact that's part of their core business you get rid of that risk you you seriously mitigate that risk I mean of course you know you always have some risk but you certainly have dampened this dichotomy of this arm of the business is doing these great things and this arm of the business is continuing to produce revenue Um, and really you know that nexus of of weaving them together so they're inextricably linked um, is really the sweet spot that we're after.
1: So let's say you weave together the, the financial considerations and the social impact. One of the big challenges, of course, is that measuring social impact is very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you walk us through how you do that uh, using your shared value approach?
2: Sure. It is very hard. Um, and we, what we do is we, we take a basic cost benefit analysis uh, you know, methodology that's, that's known all over, um, and we apply it to figure out how to prioritize. Uh, you know, we start the, the starting point is what's your challenge to growth. So it's very much a business starting point. Um, in the case of the university, business challenge was I may not have as many new students entering and uh, you know and and paying tuition. It's a pretty primitive business model, you know, when you get down to the sources and uses of capital to run a for-profit university. Um, And so if we said, okay, so if that's your challenge, what can we do to help you ensure that you will really increase your sources of revenue? Um, And then when we look at this from the social angle, what are the pockets that are tremendously in, sort of inordinately underrepresented to attend university. Peru's had a rapid expansion in what we consider emerging middle class, which is a tremendous success story. They've had robust um, GDP growth and so forth. But there's still large pockets um, that just don't have access. 50% of the youth actually don't graduate high school. So you're already dealing with half of the potential universe to potentially enter college. Um, So when we look at those things, we figure out How can we best design a program that will enable you to recruit more students and not only recruit them, but retain them? Because the highest dropout rates are from this demographic. That their opportunity cost to not go out into the labor force immediately, even if it's not a high paying job, is so high that the dropout rate continues to be a big struggle. Um, And so in this case, we said, look, Let's figure out how to create programs that you, you, university, will have to invest in that will create a platform that will enable these students to make it to the finish line. Not only recruit them, but retain them. Um, and so we measure that. By, in the case of the university, of course, my public sector colleagues have all sorts of data that as well established in terms of um, you know, higher income and so forth for people who do uh, graduate from college as opposed to high school graduates or, or even not um, graduates. So in that case, it was um, sort of the social impact, uh, empirical data pool that we could rely on was, was quite great. And some of the other projects that we've looked into, engagements we've worked with, we had to extrapolate. At times, Uh, but we do. We do a lot with stakeholder analysis. We go out, we do a lot of interviews with people. What will really matter to you? What will really improve your quality of life? And many times, another uh, fascinating thing of the tool as we've been implementing it has been the answers we collect back and we bring back to our client are different from what their expectation had been. So even when clients have been entertaining, I I really, you know, I, I feel in my gut that something we need to do something Um, when we bring back the answers of this is what would matter most because from a financial perspective that's what you want to invest in if you want bang for your buck they say really because i thought it was this other thing so it's been a really um it's been a really useful tool also just as an eye-opener even for companies who are on the journey so to speak of of looking for possibilities um, to prioritize and kind of restack the deck of, look, if you really want this to be impacting your bottom line, you really should go this way.
1: Quick follow up. Can you give an example of that, uh, something that surprised you in this way?
2: Sure. Our first engagement we did with an uh, avocado producer in, um, in Chile. So it was a, had been a small size company, really started growing. Again, they came to us for an expansion loan. And we said, um, you know, we, we think this is, it's such a high, it's such a densely um, sort of high employment type industry in terms of agribusiness. They have all the pickers and packers and everything. Um, we said, what's your biggest challenge? And they said, well, our biggest challenge is turnover. You know, people leave the farm and we got to retrain people and it's a huge cost and drain on Net income, right? Because we have good gross income, and then we have to, you know, it gets used up. Um, So we said, um, Well, what have you been, you know, what have you been contemplating on your own before we got here uh, to address this? And they said, Well, you know, we're, we're, we know we've got to figure out some, you know, the key to cost avoidance is getting, is retain, better retention. And better retention, we think, will be some form of loyalty, and we really don't know what that is. But we're thinking if we just, the bullet and and invest the money to build a daycare center, that might be the ticket because people will want to come and, you know, they'll have a place for their children and so forth. And we said, well, that sounds great. You know, let's put that into the kit of things that we explore. So we did. Uh, And what we, through the process and the methodology that we followed, uh, what we surfaced for them was, well, you know, it turns out the $2 million that it would take you to build the daycare center probably would not be your optimal investment vis-a-vis cost avoidance for retraining. Because between yourself, the people who work for the company as well as sort of outsourced supply chain uh, farmers of 20,000 total, you'd reach maybe 100 that would be able to walk to the facility or the daycare with the kids. And so those 100 would certainly stay with you, but you gotta figure out how to retain you know, 20,000. So when we did the stakeholder analysis, what we found was more and more, and predominantly it was women that were employed uh, and that they needed to increase the retention of, and more and more the answers were, well, if the company had some program so that my kids could get an education, and basically they wouldn't be, this wouldn't be their only option you know, to, to be gainfully employed. That would make me really want to stay with the company. And so we said, okay, so instead of taking the $2 million that you were prepared to spend to invest in this daycare center, you would need to set it up for educational credits for, for the various employees and redirect. So again, it's not an increase in spending, right? Because again, CSR, you know, people say, oh, how much are you spending? Can you spend more? This is an optimization and reallocation of resources that they were already prepared to spend. Um, that will drive that retention, which of course then drives better bottom line. So that was interesting. And it was our first, you know, our first case out of, the, out of the gate. That's a great example.
0: It is, it is. So, you know, when you approach the issues through this shared value, do you find the clients receptive to, to the approach? And are there some challenges with getting them to, to understand w- why you're doing it and how they can implement it?
2: There are definitely challenges, yes. Um, <clears throat> I think the why is probably less of a challenge, right? Because we are the IDB, and so anyone who's, who's coming to us for a loan has a certain expectation that, um, you know, they are aware of our mission, they know we're really not uh, engaging them for profit reasons. Uh, so, so they figure we're going to be coming with something, right? And, and for many years that something has been, uh, we'll support private activity, to a do no harm standard. And so we have very high standards for, you know, social and, um, and environmental compliance. Uh, in this space, what we've said is, yeah, that, that's still there. you <laughs> know, That's not going anywhere. But this is to really tap into a different way of doing business and really shift your business as usual. So challenges. Challenges have been, um, initially, oftentimes we get kind of redirected to whoever they have in charge of sustainability um, or if they have a CSR program, you know we're talking to that person. Uh, and what we found absolutely 100% of the time, and when I talk to practitioners who are doing similar types of uh, engagements, you need the C-suite. You need either the C-F- CEO or at a minimum the CFO to be on board with this because it does have to be part of the core business. And so saying, yeah, I'd love to talk to your CSR person, but I really need to talk to that CFO. And the unique ability of us to accomplish that is that, of course, we are usually coming also with a loan. We're not just consultants coming in as you know, providing advisory services. They're also looking to us for a loan uh, for some kind of expansion or sometimes we do greenfield projects you know, that didn't exist before. Um, and clearly in that capacity, we're talking to the CFO and the CEO. And so we say, no, 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 um, sir or ma'am, we have one more agenda item we want to talk to you about. Not with the guy down the hall. Uh, so so that's, you know, that's a recurring challenge, but we, we seem to manage it. And we, uh, we've got a lot of good... I mean, the, the projects, we've we're now, we're now done almost a dozen of these. Um, and every time when we do make that sort of business case... To the people in charge, uh, they really, you know, they really get it. It hasn't been that tremendous a struggle. It's just getting the time and, and maybe, you know, getting the agenda item to be properly worded <laughs> so that we have the time.
1: Now, as you were developing the shared value methodology, uh, what were some of the challenges you faced in, 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 in developing it, and and uh, what would be your assessment of what the model does well? and what it doesn't do as well?
2: Well, let's see. Um, some of the challenges initially were, you know, we brought in some outside consultants, that uh, big consulting firms, you know, to help us really build the nuts and bolts of, of a model um, that we could use. Uh, and there we encountered far too frequently than, than I would have expected this sort of... Um, creeping along into kind of the the well it'll produce goodwill like no you know we're going to be really really hardcore like I need to see dollars and cents of what it's going to produce vis-a-vis the bottom line because if it's too um intangible just not going to meet my bar to say to the CFO who I'm insisting to talk to who not the CSR guy uh, it's not going to meet the bar to say, this deserves your attention. This needs to be part of your core business. So that was, you know, was a challenge. I think now you know, we've been working with some of the um, same folks, uh, and they know we're rather dogmatic on that. Uh, and so it's happening less. Um, <clears throat> so I think the, the methodology is robust in that sense. Um, and that's really what makes it kind of click.
0: So, where do you see IDB going in the future in the area of social impact investing?
2: Well, I think increasingly we are um, we 're definitely going more into the space of um, it 's not enough to say it 's a great investment and you 're meeting these very high international best practice standards it 's really about where 's this sort of voluntary area that you can go in i mean the shared value vis-a-vis social impact, we're also replicating in the climate space and how can, our, how can we green our portfolio and make our companies more energy efficient? Um, how can they invest in natural capital in ways that will again drive their bottom line, working with a, some very large uh, forestry project sponsors in that space? So it's really about you know, using that engagement that we have with private sector actors big, large-scale private sector actors to really shift that business-as-usual model into this area of sort of driving profits and driving um, impact at the same time. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I see a big future ahead of us because it really <laughs> looks, um, it looks like it really works. You know, it it's, it's really dovetails and aligns interests. And once you get the alignment of interests, you really can start to look for scale.
1: As, as we wind down, could we end perhaps with an example of one of your green growth investments and and how you went through the uh, the financial and social impact analysis there? How how, how do you approach it? Sure.
2: Um, <clears throat> well, the in terms of green growth, we are looking at a lot of. Um, we're doing a, you know the, our infrastructure practice is doing a huge amount of renewable energy. Uh, we're really haven't done. Fossil fuel based uh, generation projects in several years, which is a fantastic thing for me to be able to say because, of course, you know, they're still out there. Um, what I find, I guess, most uh, fascinating is really our ability to get some private investors and private owners of companies to make investments that are not urgent. Because So, so we, the, the shared value thing was really born on the back of, they're coming to us for organic growth purposes. They need to expand. And so let's use that entree to say, let us tell you about this other really interesting thing for you. Now we're, we're, we're moved beyond that to say, you're operating, you're not coming to us for a loan. But you know what? If we surface these opportunities for you to invest, and particularly in energy efficiency, where usually they're small-scale investments. Um, they, that, you know, we, we are able to lend to you for this, right? So it's a different, it's a different starting point. It's not they're coming because they need to expand. It's we're telling them, hey, you know, there's opportunities for you to actually save on your energy consumption, save on your bills, the return, you know, on the investment will only take a couple of years. We'll make sure we structure the debt in a way that, you know, it works. economics work. Um, and it's, it's building into a whole new um, business line that, that really changes the dynamic of how we're going about addressing the climate change issue and, and um, really producing, you know, mitigation in ways that we hadn't really pursued beforehand. So...
1: Okay. Thank you so much for speaking to us.
2: Sure, me. my pleasure.
1: For more business news and
0: analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.